Banachton asphalt cheru dosen chermach show J Shachle. Shil fiona macardle mish. I'm Fiona McCardle and I'd like to welcome you to this programme, Shachle. In Shachle this time, and Shachn Show on Shachle, Kunyach ten Morga. An early reminder of two concerts this evening, provided you're listening live on Thursday the 19th of August, and some other musical entertainments in the coming week. Kulina Feishness, the fulfilment of a prophecy with an anniversary in Laxi. Asgol Kronkechergenus er Dehwil, and Peel Hill by Bike. An event this coming Sunday, the 22nd of August. We start with these two concerts this evening that I mentioned. That's to say, Thursday the 19th of August. The first one will be starting at 7.30 in the Villa Marina Arcade, and it's part of the Arts in the Arcade concerts organised by Isle of Man Arts Council. This evening's concert presents the Crosby and District Silver Band, so part of a very strong brass silver band tradition in the island. Also this evening at 7.45, the weekly concert in St Catherine's Church in Port Erin is by Gareth Moore and Friends. Admission is free and there will be a retiring collection for church funds. So there are the two concerts this evening. Let's move on now to this coming Sunday, the 22nd of August. That afternoon at three o'clock, Arts in the Arcade presents another of the island's fine bands, the Russian Silver Band. Looking forward to Wednesday, St Thomas's Church in Douglas is presenting a series of hour-long concerts of popular music, starting at 7.45pm. And next Wednesday evening, the 25th of August, you can enjoy the singing of Karen Elliott and Friends. Admission is free, and donations would be very welcome towards church funds. Erfeide Velschen ernemre kiel nu Thomas on stulish, van heel keen kiadet liorish you and Christine, van erega ver Jane Lochtai Christine vosh milntang, by you and Christine rogetjons lonen. As we genu ober de lourd and a barrenty aglishach, kiada, sliasaka, kyaltin and the aglish hosten, geda rene kiada, tyan sagad, scullion, tyan chira, banken, as struggle in delonies. Rene kiada mujus, the galleria shunach on slonen, the heremus dan galleria shunach cochasasen. As henke de ve echter ren jane undernus rio, the erdvasuni goldach. The architect of St Thomas's Church in Douglas, Ewan Christian, was also responsible for the designs of Marown New Church, the Abbey Memorial Church in Balasala, Christ Church the Dune and Christ Church Laxey, as well as the Chapel of Ease for the Moores family's Cronkbourne village. St Thomas's Church in Douglas is notable for the striking murals designed by John Miller Nicholson. Something else striking about St Thomas's is the peal of bells, Peals of bells are themselves rare in Manx churches. The peal at St Thomas's is in the form of a carillon, which can be played by a system, of which the 200th anniversary was celebrated just over a couple of months ago. We join Judith Lay as she talks to St Thomas's tower captain, Edwin Creer, about this carillon system, and then as he talks to Charles Gard about it.
that's the sound of the bells of St Thomas's Church here in Douglas, a device that enables one person to ring all the church bells is the Ellicombe apparatus. Each bell is struck while it's static, instead of the bells being rotated. One of these devices is installed in the tower of St Thomas's Church in Finch Road here in Douglas. St Thomas's tower captain, Edwin Creer. The Elecom chime system, it's whereby one person can actually control all the eight bells... What it boiled down to, the Reverend Ellicom was listening to people pulling the bells in the belfry and there was a lot of raucous behaviour going on. One or two people a little, a little frivolous, etc., maybe drunk. And he thought, there must be a better system than this. So he thought about this and he thought, I can design something whereby one person can actually control all the bells rather than pulling them. So this system is uh, situated in churches throughout the world. 74 churches, I think it is, in Britain. And uh, it's a wonderful system. Indeed it is. And it gets around the present-day difficulty of getting enough people to have a full ring of bells because it's not always easy these days, is it? No. There's only two other churches. That's the Cathedral Church, where they have the team of bell ringers, and St George's Church. With this movement, this Elecom movement, you're able to, to ring out... The hymn tunes, I've been listening to a selection of hymn tunes now. They are fantastic, to be honest, and there's a number of hymn tunes you think you can play. The bells are in situ, and the clapper will hit the bell, and as I say, there are eight bells up there, and of course you can play tunes on this. And uh... Anyone who's familiar with the sound of music will recognise D-R-M-F. You're actually working on tonic sulfur in here, do re mi fa so la ti That's the way it's, it's written out here. It's basically there for novices that come upstairs and, and will ring the bells. And if they have a bit of tutoring, um, there's, there's bits of paper we have here or that have got, for instance, there, this is now the day is over, M-M-F-F-S-M. Um, so they, it's marked so they know where to pull. Um, if you want an example, I'll give you an example. I do. Perhaps right. I can even play that one. Well, I'll play that just if you want. I mean, I know it's... Um, Tower captain of St Thomas's Church, Edwin Creer, and the 200-year-old Elecum apparatus used to play the carillon. Folly de Valigic and Began Quech, the Welshian Lord Merkion, Eganimbach Show, Achta Lefelia, New Thomas and Orstel, and Hidler's Feed Mean and Olic, Asta Slyker and Enem Lal Thomas Du Er. She le skirin the blina e. She tojak and olic vanenach, valal tomes do, tashendachre, and chigish omajach. Ligdun golnish, gus jeren chigish omajach. Gus and legians, the yikin a tradition a faster shen. It doesn't seem very seasonal to be talking about the customs of the Manx version of Twelfth Night, the end of Christmas and New Year festivities. But on that evening, six men performed a dance called Mullacharen's March, with two sticks apiece, 
and at the end they dance round the fiddler, who's playing the tune for them, draw their sticks closer together over his head, and shout that they're cutting off his head. After that, the fiddler was taken and his head placed on a lap, sometimes that of the Lair Vain, sometimes that of a young woman amongst the assembly. Feratai, the master of ceremonies, then put a series of questions to the fiddler, and the fiddler's replies were reckoned to be prophetic. Some of the questions were traditional, about what would happen in man before the end of time. One answer was that the point of air and the Scottish coast would come so close together that two women, one in Scotland and one in the island, would be able to wring out a blanket between them. Another was that the rulers of man would be forced to flee. However, one of the traditional answers was that, before the end of time, an iron road would run over the highest mountain in man. The 21st of August 1895 saw the opening of the Snaefell Mountain Railway. These days we are used to it running from Laxey Tram Station, but, as Andrew Scarf tells us, things were a little different in 1895. standing here at the south side of Laxey Station looking at the viaduct but looking back to 1895 when the Snaefell Mountain Railway opened this is misleading Yes, indeed there was a bit of a gap here in, in, back in 1895 because the viaduct wasn't built at that time the coastal tramway had opened to Laxey in July 1894 and the line to the Snaefell Summit was opened in the following year in August 1895 so if you got off the tram to Douglas you had to walk along the roadway and across the road bridge to Mines Road then up a steep um, flight of steps up to the Snaefell, well the present Snaefell car shed where the original Snaefell station was situated. But standing here in Laxey station though we can see one of the differences between the two lines who we were standing actually as it happens in the three foot gauge here of the coastal tramway but if we move over to the left there we come to a slightly different setup. Yes this is the joint um, station or the exchange station it was um, known at the time when it was opened in 1898 and it serves both the coastal tramway from Douglas to Ramsey the MER as it's now known and the Snaefell line um, which is the two lines and sidings on the left there and the Snaefell line is six inches wider it's a three foot six inch gauge the one we're standing on now is three foot gauge and hasten to say that there's no trams running at the moment so we're quite safe here um, yeah so the Snaefell one's a wider gauge and the, and the reason for that is to accommodate the centre braking rail that the trams used to use on the way down to break when they come down the mountain is there still a piece of line where it steadily narrowed so that when they were transferring cars to take them into Derby Castle for work they could change the gauge on them? Yeah, that was in Laxey Station here as we just said that there was a different gauge so there was a process where they used to jack up the tram bodies, take out the Snaefell bogies, put MER bogies underneath and then take them on the, across a transfer siding to Derby Castle for maintenance and um, that was taken out sadly a few years ago when the station was the track was relayed but some effort has been made to reproduce that and replicate that you can see over there there's a there's like a, a replica joint gauge siding in now mm. it's still there now 
Yeah. As you mentioned, we're tram-free at the moment, but one of the things that you'd notice in Laxey Station is the difference in the current collection between the Coast Tramway and the Snaefell trams. That's correct, yeah. I mean, the, the Coast the Tramway ones have got the trolley poles with the, the sprung arm and the wheel at the top that runs along the wire. Um, the Snaefell trams have got what we call bow collectors, um, as fitted originally to the coastal trams that they were replaced with the trolley poles and the, the, as far as I'm aware it's a unique system in the entire world the Hopkinson bow system there's a bow collector at each end um, slightly lower than the pole arm height so that when the tram passes a pole the leading collector loses contact with the wire but current collection is maintained by the, the um, trailing collector and likewise when that gets to the pole as the tram's moving that loses contact and the front collector picks up again to ensure that the, the current is um, it's a continuation of current it's believed that they were, when the coastal tramway was changed to trolley poles they retained the boat collectors on Snaefell because of the high winds and they were concerned that the trolley would blow off in the wind on the mountain. Right, and yet looking back to 1895 again, in fact there wouldn't have been that much difference between the coastal tramway and the Snaefell trams in the because they both had boat collectors at that time. They did indeed, yeah. It was not It was in 1898 when the line was open to Ramsey that they decided to change the coastal tramway to um, trolley poles. Mm. We're talking about the trams now started with Snaefell from here in Laxey Station, but as you mentioned, of course, people would have had to get off on the other side, mm. walk along over the Moors Bridge and along through Laxey, so perhaps we could walk along and find out where the trams originally went from up to Snaefell. Well, we've come up through the station now and we're just at the start of the incline and uh, we're looking now at the, the three foot six inch gauge and it's joined now here by what you referred to earlier on, the rail for braking in the middle. Yeah, this is the, the um, Fell centre rail. When the Snaefell railway was built in 1895, the promoters weren't sure that an electric tram could actually climb a gradient of one in 12 by wheel adhesion alone. So the idea was to use this raised centre rail, which was invented by a chap called John Barracle Fell and, f and promoted by his son, George Noble Fell. And it was designed as a, a sort of fairly cheaper alternative to rack and pinion for railways going up mountains. So they, they laid the centre rail on Snaefell for two purposes. One, to have um, extra motors in the bogies, to, which would clamp wheels on the side of the rail to enable the tram to go up the steep gradients and secondly to be used as braking on the way down with a powerful caliper brake which would grip the side of the raised um, centre rail and, and brake the tram on the way down. They quickly found by experience that trams would go up gradients of 1 in 10 or 1 in 12 by wheel adhesion and the, original, and the intention to put extra motors in the bogies was abandoned but they kept the centre rail for braking and that was used regularly right through to about 19, mid-1970, 1977-78 when the trams remoted with um, new equipment or second-hand equipment from Arken in Germany and that introduced electric braking which now is the preferred way to come down but of course the centre rail is still here it's still used as a backup um, if required and as far as I'm aware, it's the only railway in the world now that still uses a fell centre rail system, so it's, it's, it's unique. And on that opening day in 1895, after walking up through the village here, people would have had to climb a bit higher than where we are now, in fact, to 
get on the trams to go to the top of Snaefell. Yeah, that's correct. We're actually standing on Mines Road now, but there was a, a, the, a potential passengers had to walk up a flight of steps to the present car shed where the first station was situated. And they realised fairly quickly that people didn't like climbing or walking up these <laughs> steep steps. So within a couple of years, they extended the line down from the shed back down to Mines Road here now. So you could basically walk from the level of the road onto, and directly onto the tram. Mm. And on that first day again, uh, the 21st of August 1895, people flocked to come on the railway, but they didn't see much when they went on it. No, um, there was about a thousand people that uh, went up Snaefell on the very first day. It was very popular, but according to the newspaper reports of the time, the weather may be considered to have been typical for a summer's day, and the newspaper reports say it was cloudy and overcast and, and wet at the summit. Mm. But a good time was had by all, no doubt. Oh, I think everybody thoroughly enjoyed it. The trams were packed for the rest of the short season to the end of September and, of course, have been very busy ever since. Andrew Scarf, good morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. A visit to Laxey Station with Andrew Scarf to look at the Snaefell Mountain Railway, which opened on the 21st of August in 1895. Tan red skira bush laxe das pertna hinja harishna slagen uns inerje geirch erna regen mura. Fodmud gold hojach der schener a tram lektrach bush laxe gus snail och digdun glacierka de bu gus pertna hinja hin red bimud jikener krunke katnes krunke katnes or peel hill will be the scene of great activity this coming Sunday the 22nd of August with Cycle 360's Corrin's Folly Challenge. To find out more about the event I went along to Peel Town Hall where I had the opportunity to talk to one of the race organisers, Peter Jones. This is brand new really, it's uh, been a brainchild and talked about by Peel Commissioners for quite some time and eventually this year we've got round to pushing on and delivering what they want. So really it's, uh, it's a challenge, put it that way. It's, uh, for those who want to take part, it starts down by Morskippy Yard, out along the railway line just to break you in nice and gently, then it's out through the ragged, up through uh, Nokalo Beg, there's a footpath up through there, then you start a nice rocky technical climb up the back of the hill towards Corrin's Folly. Then uh, you'll be glad to hear it isn't all out coming down the hill. There's various gentle declines. Then there's a tabletop over some walls where you can roll over yourself. And then there's a, there is a quicker section running down to the scallop path crossing that. Uh, runs down the footpath then and back to the new road bridge across the Kippy Yard. And for seniors, there's five laps of that, so it's going to be good fun. Yeah. People uh, can sign on up to half past nine on, on the morning of the, of the race then? Yes, signing on is down to 9.30 and uh, come and join us. Uh, it's going to be a great day. You mentioned about the, uh, the seniors doing the five laps, but there's a, a series of other, other races within there as well for different age categories. Yes, uh, you can start off from 13 years old. We would have liked to go a little bit younger, but we're, as I say, we're running under British Cycling rules. So 13 is the youngest, they'll get one lap. The youth is then 15 to 16, uh, they'll get two laps. 
and then you run into the 17 to 18 year old who will be running three and once you're over 18 you're down to the five laps what is uh, a new concept in it we appreciate that some of the seniors might want to just put in one fast lap and if they want to just do that to see what they can do against the clock they are welcome to do the one fast lap they will get a did not finish if they stop after that but they will get individual lap times so if they want to do one fast lap they're welcome to do one or do all five so how, how long is the lap all together then uh, it's just over three miles and uh, as i say five laps I don't think it's a distance that's going to challenge people. It's the climb, especially up from Nokalo Beg to Currents mm. Folly. It's quite technical. Uh, the commissioners have done a great job. They've cut new paths into uh, the heather, and that's being done specially to protect. There's some very delicate peat ground there on the footpaths, so they've cut new areas so it won't get damaged and will keep away from areas that have already been damaged. Mm. 10.30 start, everyone's individually timed, but how does it work? It's a mass start, it's going to be all rolling out at 10.30, and that's where your timing will start. Uh, we're expecting some to go quicker than others, obviously, and they'll have all thinned out by the time they reach the ragged. Then from, uh, as you cross the road at the ragged, there's another timing point there and there's a king or queen of the mountain because there'll be a timing point at Corrin's Folly so see who can do that technical climb the quickest. All right. Yeah, I was thinking uh, coming out of the ragged and going across uh, to hit the path up to Nokalo Beg. obviously you're on the open road there. Yes, we've uh, been in consultation with all the emergency services and the police have been very good. We're going to have police on site, obviously be signed. And uh, But as in all these races where they're crossing open roads, the cyclists know they have to give way to traffic. The normal rules of the road apply. And to be honest, a couple of seconds while a car passes before you cross, I don't think that's going to make much of a difference after their five laps. No, especially, as you say, going up from Nokalo Beg up to uh, the tower itself. I mean, that's certainly the first part up from Nokalo Beg uh, up to what well, I always think of it as scrambling up to the bench. But <laughs> And then you've got to get to the, the, the tower after that. That's, that's really quite a steep incline, isn't it? Yes, I'm glad I've only walked it, and I've walked it several times, but that, that section from what I know was the old Coast Guard houses up to Mr Anderson's memorial bench, that is a hard climb for anybody. The descent is going to be quite interesting, I thought. It's obviously not going down the steepest part of the hill, obviously, because you're cutting back down towards the, the harbour bridge rather than the footbridge, but there's still quite a challenge on the descent, never mind the ascent. Yes, yeah, it's, again, we've worked with the Manx Mud Club who are behind this race uh, fully and the Longest Day, Longest Ride guys have worked with British Cycling to make sure everything's safe and everything's right. But that will be an exciting descent, but there's a descent followed by a slight climb, followed by a descent. So it's not an all-out straight-down run. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, people will be able to, to watch throughout the day? Yes, uh, we've got closure orders on certain amounts of the hill the commissioners have been great mr and mrs anderson have been absolutely fantastic supporting this event mm -hmm. and this is one of the things the hill sections of the hill are closed for this race but there's plenty of hill and plenty of paths up there so if you want to see a fast downhill walk up one of the other paths and stand and watch there'll be marshals all the way round. if you obey the marshals they'll make sure you're safe
Peter Jones, thank you very much indeed. Lovely, thank you very much. My thanks to Peter Jones of the organising committee of Cycle 360's Corrin's Folly Challenge, taking place this coming Sunday, the 22nd of August. You can sign on at 9.30 and then lapse of the course start at 10.30. That brings us to the end of this edition of Shaklay. So, now from me, Eshvum Fiona McCardle, Slendu. <laughs>